Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unbothered with Josh Moraney today. I'm going to be talking about the last week of preseason. Starts today. This is it. Today through Sunday, week, preseason week three. What am I looking forward to in this last week? Then I'm going to go over some playoff teams last year that, quite frankly, I don't think will be as good this year. Uh, and even though they'll be, you know, in the tier of Super Bowl contenders, I don't think any of them make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, I think they take a step back this year. But then I also analyze some teams that were good last year, but or bad and bad, but I think they can be even better this year. And then I'm going to react to Kevin Durant staying with the Nets, what that means, Lakers trading for Patrick Beverly, my thoughts on that trade, and also uh, finishing, of course, with the PG Tour changes. But let's get started with this last week of preseason. What do I want to see? Well, one of the things I want to see is Jordan Love. The Packers play tonight against the Chiefs in Kansas City. Jordan Love has played a majority of the preseason snaps so far, uh, last week and the first week. And frankly, he hasn't looked that good. Uh, I've been very unimpressed, underwhelmed by Jordan Love's performance. In two preseason games so far, he has thrown three touchdowns, three interceptions, and just about 300 yards combined. Uh, It hasn't looked very good. The decision-making hasn't been very good. Uh, You know, and it's, to me, kind of shocking. Because Matt LaFleur is supposed to be this offensive coach, uh, and he's behind Aaron Rodgers. So you think that the guy should be pretty good um, if you're learning from Aaron Rodgers. Because let's take a look, uh, shall we? Let's let's go back in time, you know, 15 years ago to when, you know, same team, Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre. Brett Favre was the guy for three years. Preseason, Aaron Rodgers looked all right in both preseason games. Uh, Didn't look like a world beater, but looked a lot better than Brett Favre. I think Brett Favre took a more, uh, you know, took a better role, you know, in mentoring uh, Aaron Rodgers than Aaron Rodgers has done in Jordan Love. that has been reported numerous times that, you know, a key reason, you know, was Aaron's play slightly declining. They draft Jordan Love, and he turns it on, just uh, picks it up and wins back-to-back MVPs because of that pick. Uh, That first year, I don't think Aaron Rodgers wanted another quarterback in the room, didn't want anything to do with Jordan Love. You know, I think the past year or two, he's taken a better approach, but nowhere near where he should be. Let's take a look at another example. Let's take a look at Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, similar situation to Jordan Love and um, Aaron Rodgers, but this happened before the Jordan Love situation where the Patriots took Jimmy G in the second round back in 2016. You know, people are saying, is it the end of Tom Brady? Uh, But I think Tom Brady, uh, ignore the noise, especially after after watching Man in the Arena, uh, even though it's hard to ignore the noise and the outside distraction, uh, Tom does a pretty good job at managing that. And I do think, he, you know, he takes an interest in all of his players, is that ultimate leader in football, best leader uh, in football ever, a lot better than Aaron Rodgers. So I think Jimmy Garoppolo learned a lot from him. And that's why Jimmy Garoppolo was such a hot commodity, uh, you know, at the time. You know, is he going to replace Tom Brady? Look good in the regular season games. Look great in preseason. 
teams wanted Jimmy Garoppolo if the Patriots were going to stay with Tom Brady. So that's why, you know, only playing, you know, four regular season games, San Francisco traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, shelved out a ton of money at the time for Jimmy Garoppolo, even though it was, you know, he played in limited snaps. Compare that to Jordan Love. Nobody wants Jordan Love. He doesn't look good. His decision-making isn't that good. His accuracy of a ball placement, I'm very unimpressed with Jordan Love. Uh, if I'm the Packers and Aaron Rodgers has been hinting at this retirement for quite some time, uh, and he signed this three-year deal, this, come, this next coming draft, I'm looking at another quarterback because Jordan Love is not it. Now, this is his last chance tonight to impress because Jordan Love is not going to see a lot of game time this upcoming regular season unless something really goes wrong for the Packers. So I don't see it tonight against the Chiefs. It's his last night to impress anyone or else so far there's not going to be one game where we're thoroughly impressed with this kid. Uh, which is not good news if you're the Packers and if you're Jordan Love. What else am I looking forward to? Well, do the Seahawks settle their quarterback debate? Right now, it's up between Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Geno Smith has had the majority of the plays and snaps. Uh, Last preseason game, Drew Locke out due to COVID. Pete Carroll says he expects to see a lot of... uh, Drew Locke in the final preseason game, which is tomorrow night. But he has not named a starter. He says the quarterback competition is still open. And he says he feels like he's got two number one quarterbacks. Uh, Hate to be the bearer of bad news, Pete, but you don't have two number one quarterbacks. Those aren't two number one quarterbacks. Those are hardly two number two quarterbacks. That is the most uninspiring Weakest quarterback room in the entire NFL. Uh, Every other quarterback on another team, the rest of the 31 teams, I would prefer and take their quarterback situation over the Seattle Seahawks. That Seattle Seahawks room is terrible. It's bad. It's uninspiring. It's not good. It's not going anywhere this season. You know, you could name one starter. Uh, they'll play a few games. They'll give, go one and three in a quarter of the games. Next starter will come in. I expect the same thing. Uh, you put in Drew Locke, Geno Smith. It doesn't matter. They're not good. It's not like, you know, you're going to win two or three extra games if you start one or the other quarterbacks. I do think Drew Locke is a touch better. You know, if I want to win an extra game, I might put Drew Locke in. To me, he gives me the better chance. Uh, Geno Smith, because if I'm Pete Carroll, I saw Geno Smith in relief of Russell Wilson last year, and it and it wasn't good. You know, there was a moment here there, but for the most part, it wasn't good. Didn't look good against the Steelers. Looked clumsy, turnover prone against the Saints. Wildly inefficient. So no, Geno Smith is not the answer. Now Drew Locke's not the answer. But I'm going to leave that choice up to Pete Carroll. And, you know, I think after this season, a majority of the Seahawks fan base are going to turn on Pete Carroll if they haven't already. I've already turned on Pete Carroll. Uh, It's why I'm not an avid watcher of the Seahawks. is because of Pete Carroll. Uh, You know, I think you can date it back to the uh, all this. Seattle struggles to the one-yard line, should have handed the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. Beast mode, you win your, um, you know, Super Bowl. You become a dynasty. You win back-to-back, first time since the Patriots 03-04. And you're the kings of the NFL. People, I think, want to sign with you. You're it. But Pete Carroll makes a lousy decision. And since then, it's been lousy decision after lousy decision. It's been 
poor, odd draft choices, not, you know, retooling, rebuilding your offensive line. Uh, It's been bad draft picks. It's been letting Bobby Wagner go for nothing. Same with Richard Sherman. You just let people go. The only person you trade is Russell Wilson. And the Seahawks, that was already well past this offseason, they made the wrong choice. And majority of the world, Seahawks fans are going to watch and see that, hey, they made the wrong choice. Russell Wilson inspired. is going to play great football this year. I think Russell Wilson is going to have a fantastic year in Denver. Well, Seattle Seahawks are going to be, you know, near the bottom laughing stock of the NFL. So, whenever Pete Carroll clears up this quarterback competition, uh, it won't much matter for the Seattle Seahawks. Next, will Jameis Winston play on Friday, uh, tomorrow night against the Chargers? He wants to play. But the question is, will he play? Will the coaches let him play? Uh, He's been slowly rehabbing from his uh, ACL injury. He's back healthy, but they have not. um, But he's not played a game yet. If I'm the Saints, I think I hold him out. Uh, You know, you don't want to see him injure or tweak anything in this final preseason game. Yes, you want some game time action, uh, but just give it to him the first week against the Falcons because it is the Falcons. It's nobody great. Kind of rest your guys because Michael Thomas hurt his hamstring. That could linger now throughout the rest of the season. season. So uh, on the Saints, I'm playing it overly cautious. Because you already have a very slim chance of making the playoffs. You don't have a great chance. You have a slim chance. So if you mess it up tomorrow night, you've got no chance. So let's play it safe. Play it cautious. You know, when it comes to the regular season, you can just chalk it up. But when it comes to preseason, that's when it gets difficult. And then going along those same lines with preseason... Don't let any one of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. Uh, It's expected that Tom Brady and some healthy starters are going to play. But the players on Tampa Bay have been dropping like like flies recently. Uh, You know, they walk outside on the practice field and they just drop down foot injury, hamstring injury, a cramp. I don't know what's going on over there in Tampa. But I don't want to see any starters play. Now, I know the Colts are going to play their starters for the first half. Good for the Colts. If I'm Todd Bowles, I'm not risking it. If Tom Brady gets injured, you might as well fire yourself. You might as well turn it in, uh, go to the general manager, Jason Light, and the Glazers. Give them your keys to the building, your parking pass, and just resign there. Just fire yourself if anybody gets hurt in this preseason game. Especially Tom Brady, because a lot is hindering on this Tampa Bay team and on Tom Brady. I'm very cautious playing any Tampa Bay starters uh, tomorrow night. A couple other things. Will the Ravens continue their streak? Uh, they play the Commanders on Saturday night. Uh, can they continue their long preseason streak? That'll be interesting. And then the final preseason note is... Next Tuesday, all their rosters, all NFL rosters, have to be cut to 53. There's already been a decent player cut from their team, Kenyon Drake from the Las Vegas Raiders. A lot of teams still have, you know, 70 to 80 players. So you're still looking at 20 to 30 players per team getting cut. Are there going to be any surprising or shocking cuts that happen uh, within the next week? Um you know, for other players to kind of steal off the free agency pool or off a practice squad, uh, that'll be interesting as well. Now, shifting over to Julian Edelman. Why do I bring up Julian Edelman? Well, he was at uh, 
Raiders Patriots practice the other day, and he says he is fighting the urge to come back. He said the reason he quit, you know, he was watching film and it was atrocious. His play was atrocious. He watched himself and it just looked bad. So smelled blood in the water and wanted to get out. And, you know, I applaud that, you know, quitting, you know, when you're on the verge of declining before you become irrelevant, you're cut, nobody wants you. But now you're fighting the urge to come back. He'd be a free agent. So if he comes back, would he do it? Would he come back for the Bucks? Would he play for his favorite team uh, that he still enjoys betting on and, you know, going to practices and games, the New England Patriots? Would he join Tom Brady? Gronk also said that if Julian Edelman comes back, he would come back. Now, if I'm Tom Brady, I'm on the phone with Julian Edelman trying to get him to return on my team. Because at that point, it's unfair. It's unfair. You'd have Tom Brady as your quarterback. Your wide receiver room is Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, Julio Jones, Julian Edelman. He just waves Cyril Grayson, who was a hero against the Jets last year, wide receiver. But then you'd also have Scotty Miller, uh, Jalen Darden, and a couple other wide receivers. So you have that. Your tight ends, Cameron Brake, Gronk, Kyle Rudolph. I mean, this offense, the skill positions, would be stacked. Would be stacked. If I'm Tom, I'm saying, bring all the troops and heck, let's call Danny Amendola. Why do I say this? Because Julian and Gronk were part of the ending dynasty of the New England Patriots. And now I'm going to get a little sidetracked here, but this New England Patriots dynasty, it's the greatest dynasty in all of sports history, and it's not even close. When you look at sports dynasties uh, in the past, let's just look at football first. Football, 70s, dominated by the Packers, 80s, dominated by the 49ers, 90s, by the Cowboys. And all those teams, you know, Packers won, you know, three, uh, 49ers won four, Cowboys won three in the 90s. So, you know, you had that. And then the NFL ushered in the salary cap to stop dynasties, to stop dynasties. And then you had the Patriots, a 20-year Dynasty, 20 years, six rings, unprecedented in football. Compare that to other sports. Let's say NBA. You know, you can consider the Warriors a dynasty. They've had four years or four titles in eight years. That's pretty good. That's close. Uh, I think if they get one or two more, they're up there with the Patriots. Now let's look beyond that. You had, you know, you have a lot of repeats, three-peats. You had the Bulls. Bulls in the 90s. You have the 91 uh, to 93 Bulls, 96, 98 Bulls, six titles in eight years. Again, that's pretty good. But that was it, just your 90s peak. 80s, you had the Lakers uh, rivalry with them. Boston Celtics, you know, you had the 11 championships in 13 years, which is good. But then again, there's only like six playoff teams, not a lot of parity back then. And if you go to MLB in the 20s, you had the Yankees, but that's the 20s. No salary cap either. But you have a 20-year period, 20 years of greatness, six championships in that time. Nine Super Bowl appearances. Nine. Nine in 20 years. That's almost every other year you're playing for the championship. And it's not like the other years you're bad. Other years you're usually in the conference championship game. 20 years sustained greatness. You know, the latter part of that dynasty, the last 
10 years, Julian Edelman, Gronk were a big, big part of that. New England Patriots, greatest dynasty of all time. Now moving on to playoff teams that won't be as good this year. I'm going to give you five teams that I think they'll still be good, but compared to last year, uh, they're not going to hit that mark. Starting with one, the Green Bay Packers. Yes, the Green Bay Packers are not going to be as good as last year. And to me, regression is only natural at this point for them. Why? They traded their best uh, skill position player, their second best player on the team, Devontae Adams. He is gone. And wide receivers like Devontae Adams don't grow on trees. They just don't. Uh, I love what Devontae Adams said on a podcast the other day. Is When he lines up on the line, he puts his Terminator mask on, and he analyzes the DB, everything about him, hand position, how many yards back, cl- close they are, everything. And then he analyzes, you know, three things, you know, what's he going to do from there. He's the best wide receiver in football. The Packers lose him. Their left tackle, David Bakhtiari, struggles to stay healthy. They lost one of their best pass rushers in Zyderia Smith. Yes, Jair comes back for most of the year. Uh, but last year, they were 13-4, and four, number one seed in the NFC. Again, regression, no Devontae Adams. They don't repeat the 13-4 and four record. They don't get the number one seed this year. Uh, the Packers will still make the playoffs, still in their division. But I think it'll be around the 11 win mark, maybe 12. The 13-4 and four, number one seed, they ain't hitting that which is why they won't be as good as last year. Two, the Kansas City Chiefs, a very similar team in what happened to the Green Bay Packers. Last year, 12-5. and five. Very, very good team. Made it to the AFC Championship game. What happened? Oh, they lost their uh, starting wide receiver. They traded him. Tyreek Hill shipped him off. He is gone uh, on defense. You lost the leader of the defense, one of your best players, and Tyran Matthew. To me, that's a big loss. Uh, right there, you lost your starting cornerback in Tredavious Ward. Yes, you drafted McDuffie, uh, a cornerback, to replace him. But it's very rare to have an elite rookie cornerback come in or a very solid, viable one to replace a player of Ward's caliber uh, coming in. So the Chiefs take a step back. Uh, I'm not even sure they win their division this year. I don't think they make the AFC Championship game. I still think the Chiefs make the playoffs, are a good team, because they've got Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid as their head coach. Uh, But they lost a lot of star pieces. I still think they can be good. But the mark they hit last year, I do think they'll be going back a little bit. Next up, the Tennessee Titans, next on the list. Another common theme here. They traded away their number one wide receiver, A.J. Brown. Shipped him off, he's gone. Their number two wide receiver, Julio Jones, let him walk. So here you are. You traded for Robert Woods, who's coming off a torn ACL injury. Hasn't played in a year. Uh, And then you drafted a rookie, Traylon Burks, out of Arkansas. Good player. But he's not going to be A.J. Brown level when he first comes in. So you're the Titans. Yes, you've got Derrick Henry back this year. He was out the you know, latter half of last year. But I'm not sold on Ryan Tannehill. The defense was extraordinarily good last year, considering the expectations that they had going into the year. I just thought, you know, an average, maybe below average defense. And they were good. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, Kevin Byard, good defense. I think the defense takes a slight step back this year. Last year, they were really good against former playoff teams, one-score games. Don't think, again, that repeats this year uh, because of the players that they've lost. Uh, I think the Titans take a step back. And you also have to think that 
They were the number one seed in the AFC at 12-5. and five. Number one seed. I don't think they get the number one seed this year. I don't even think they win their division this year. Team number four on this list. Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, let's keep on going along with this theme. Dallas Cowboys traded their number one wide receiver, Dak Prescott's favorite target, Amari Cooper, to the Cleveland Browns. So you already lose one of your top wide receivers. You don't replace him. So CeeDee Lamb goes up. Uh, Michael Gallup is coming off a torn ACL. Cedric Wilson left to the Miami Dolphins. So your wide receiver room, to me, it's pretty empty uh, outside of CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz, your tight end. Zeke has been regressing each and every year for like the past three years. Tony Pollard gives you a spark, but he's not an every down uh, running back. And it's not like every time he comes in, he gives you a great spark. He'll give you a spark on occasion, but he's still not a great player. And then there is news uh, last night to this morning uh, that their left tackle, Ty Smith, tore his hamstrings or quads, one of the two, uh, and he's expected to miss several months, maybe all the way until December. One of the best left tackles in the game, uh, right up there with David Bakhtiari, who's also dealing with his injuries with the Green Bay Packers. Now this happens to Dak Prescott, which is such a key factor for pass and run blocking. So the offense has taken a major hit this offseason. And this defense... I think Micah Parsons is a great player. Outstanding. I'm not sold on Trevon Diggs. Uh, Again, as I got over, he's allowed 900 yards in pass coverage last season. He gets targeted a lot. He gets burnt a lot. He's not shut down. So the Cowboys, again, 12-5 and last year. Won their division. Were before seed really good. They're not going to go 12-5 and again. They've, you know... They also lost Randy Gregory on their defense. They've had a lot of losses, haven't replaced a lot of guys uh, at all. So the Dallas Cowboys take a step back. Maybe they win their division, uh, but the Eagles are right there. It's, to me, a coin toss neck and neck. Uh, But the Cowboys ain't going 12-5. and And my fifth and final team on this list, the Los Angeles Rams. Now, this one's kind of a given because last year they won the Super Bowl. So, I don't have them as repeating. So, that automatically counts them to not be as good as last year. But I also don't think record-wise they'll be as good as last year. Last year, 12-5, and won their division. I don't think they go 12-5 and again or win their division. Why? Uh, Matthew Stafford is a very erratic quarterback. Uh, you know, so at times... You know, and this has just been throughout his career. And you have to keep in mind, he's 33, 34 years old. He's been doing this 12 and 13 years. He's not changing his play style. You know, he's kind of a no-risked kind of guy. Doesn't really throw the ball out of bounds. Just throws it down the field. And a lot of times that can result in interceptions. You can't change that about Matthew Stafford. It's been like that his whole career. So he throws a ton of interceptions every year. I think defenses will hone on on Cooper Cup a bit more. Yes, you got Allen Robinson to replace Robert Woods. Robert Woods is gone. OBJ is still unsigned. He lost one of the best left tackles in the game, Andrew Whitworth, due to retirement. Uh, your draft pick tore his ACL and MCL. He's out for the year. So this uh, offensive line that was elite in pass protection last year, I think takes a hit. And then on defense, Yes, you still got Aaron Donald, Bobby Wagner you signed, but he is showing some signs of age. Uh, your safeties aren't great. And yes, you've got Jalen Ramsey, uh, but he looked like burnt toast throughout the playoffs. Let's just keep it real. He got burned every single time I watched him uh, by, you know, Jawan Jennings on the Niners, Debo Samuel, uh, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase in the Super Bowl. Uh, he's not the Darrell Revis or Richard Sherman type of cornerback. He's just not. He's good. Uh, but, you know, there was a time in his career, especially early on with the Jags and kind of his first year with the uh, Rams, you didn't really target him. Uh, I think now you can 
especially if you're a good quarterback, you kind of, kind of go after Jalen Ramsey a bit more. And another thing is you can run on this defense. Uh, the Bucks showed her earlier in their pre or in their uh, divisional game. 49ers showed it throughout the season. Uh, the Titans showed it. You can get physical with this defense. Yes, they have stars, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. But if you run the ball down their throat, you get physical. This defense is kind of soft. And did I mention already that they have the hardest schedule in the NFL? Uh, very, very brutal schedule from start to finish. There's kind of no weeks off type of schedule. So, yes, 12-5. and five repeat champions, whether it's a Super Bowl or division, don't have the Rams doing it. So those are my five playoff teams from last year that won't be as good as this year. The Green Bay Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Tennessee Titans, Dallas Cowboys, and Los Angeles Rams. Now let's look at some teams that will be better this year than last year. Number one. The Detroit Lions, yes, the Detroit Lions had in, you know, last year, I didn't think they were going to be very good, very poor roster. Uh, But as I was, you know, talking to my brother uh, yesterday, was that, you know, the Lions could have really won uh, nine games last year. They were 3-13-3. But they could have won nine games. You know, they had the tie with the Steelers, but they could have won uh, that game. Uh, If the kicker made the field goal, you had Justin Tucker beat them when they were up that game because of the longest kick in history. Greg Joseph, a career-long field goal to beat them. Uh, And then just a couple other heartbreaks near the end there, whether you don't get the ball back against the Bears because of a nine-minute drive. Same with the Browns. So, you know, the Lions were very uh, competitive last year for what I expected them to be. I think they're going to be better this year. A great draft, great free agency. Um, you know, you don't replicate that amount of unluckiness this year. So I have the Lions moving up from three wins. I think they double that win total at least this year. I'm not making any bold claims about a Super Bowl or a t- division or playoffs. But I think they double their wins, and that's a good improvement for the Detroit Lions. Two, Buffalo Bills. Yes, even they can be better than last year. Last year they were 11-6 and six, uh, and had a couple bad losses. You know, one of them was against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. They lost 9-6. to 9-6. to six. Not even a touchdown. That was, you know, kind of like, eh. And then there's just a couple of games, they looked bad. They looked bad in the loss to Tampa Bay, especially that first half just dominated uh, in that game. Against the Titans, Derrick Henry ran on them. Against the Patriots in the snow game, they were ran all over. Uh, the rush defense was very suspect last year. But they go out, get Von Miller, you know, Josh Allen takes another step. Gabriel Davis is emerging as a wide receiver, too, for this team. They were 11-6. and six. I think they can be better. I think they can be 12-5, and 13-4, maybe. Uh, but I do think this is a team that was number – was the third-best team in their conference. I think they get the one seed. So, yes, I think even the Buffalo Bills improve, even if it's minimal, minimal improvement. It still means a lot. I think they get the number one seed in the AFC. Another team I think will be improving, number three, Miami Dolphins. A lot changed for them uh, this past year. You know, they were a 8-9 and nine team the past couple of years, you know, just around 500. They get a new offensive coach in Mike McDaniel. Uh, they get Tyreek Hill. From the Kansas City Chiefs, Tyreek Hill, they already got Jalen Waddell. They get a plethora of running backs. They signed Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sony Michelle. Uh, so you have all those running backs. They also signed Taron Armstead, one of the premier left tackles in the game, to protect Tua. So they did a lot right on offense. Uh, and then they all, all already had a solid defense. Xavier Howard, a Byron Jones, cornerbacks, a great duo. 
So Dolphins, I think, will improve. Now, is going to be a vast improvement? Do I see them going to 11, 12 wins? No, they're in the same division with Buffalo. But I do think they can improve. They were third in the division last year. I think they move up to second. They pass the Patriots. And, you know, last year they started one and seven. And you're kind of hopeless at that point. Don't think they start as bad this year. I think they have a winning record this year. Positive for the Miami Dolphins. Fourth team, the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, I think the San Francisco 49ers can be better this year. Why? Well, last year they had just a, you know, string of bad luck with Jimmy G dealing with some injuries, Trey Lance coming in, uh, a lot of uncertainty at quarterback. You know, every week it was, is Trey Lance going to play more? And it was Jimmy G's team, uh, but they never really announced it, whereas this year they've announced it's Trey Lance's team. And Trey Lance has a ton of potential. Elijah Mitchell was great as a rookie last year. Devo Samuel, the ultimate threat. Uh, Brandon Ayuk emerging as a star. They signed a cornerback in Chardavius Ward to shore up some of their secondary issues. Their front seven is stacked with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, uh, Shair, uh, Greenlaw, Fred Warner. They got the best offensive linemen in all of football. And, and Williams. And they got a great tight end in George Kittle. There's not a lot of holes on this team or in this roster at all. They have a lot of depth. Last year they were 10-7. and seven. They lost both games to the Cardinals and to the Seahawks last year. I do not see that happening this year again. I think they beat some more division opponents, improved that record. I think they win their division, uh, make it back to the championship game. I think this is a very good 49ers team that will be better this year. And my last team on this list, the Baltimore Ravens, I think will be better. Last year, they were third in their division. Halfway through the season, they were 8-3, number one seed. Then they lose six in a row. They miss the playoffs with Lamar Jackson being hurt. They get Lamar Jackson healthy this year. They get their running backs healthy this year. J.K. Dobbins is back, Gus Edwards. Uh, I forget who the other running back was who was injured most of the season last year, if it's Justice Hill. But he's back. Offensive line is decent. They had a great draft. Uh, best center in the draft they got, Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. Uh, best safety in the draft, Kyle Hamilton uh, from Notre Dame. So they had a very good draft as well. And also on defense, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters comes back. So to me, the Ravens are just bound to improve. Yes, this whole conference got tougher. But I think they move up to at least number two in their division. Uh, Again, they're in the playoff contention and hunt. Uh, this is a team that will improve this coming year. So those are my five teams that will be better this year than last year. The Detroit Lions, the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Baltimore Ravens. Now let's move on to the NBA. Starting with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, I believe it was Monday, or no, Tuesday, uh, him and Sean Marks, Josiah, they had a statement released saying that Kevin Durant is staying with the Nets, that they are going to continue their partnership. Good for them. Congratulations, Kevin, that you have worked it out with Josiah and uh, Sean Marks and Kyrie Irving that you are going to stay with the Nets. Uh, we don't know for sure if this is just another one-year commitment with them or if this is going to play out the duration of a four-year deal. I think that's highly unlikely. I think Kevin Durant does get traded sometime throughout this deal or somehow figures a way out to leave the Nets because uh, the Nets aren't winning a championship anytime. I don't think they should be preseason favorites, even though they have Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Uh, this is something I also touched uh, and talked about with my brother because he says they're making the conference finals. They have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's They're making like those two players. They automatically qualify to make the conference finals. 
just because they had those two guys. But we've seen already we're three years into this Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving partnership. Oh, can you believe it's been three years? Uh, I don't know if it feels quite that long to you or if it feels even longer. Uh, but they have one playoff series win in that time. Kyrie Irving has missed an abundance of games due to injury or for personal reasons. Kevin Durant's missed a lot of time as well due to injury. Then they had James Harden in. He missed some games due to injury. Ben Simmons then came in missed some time due to injury. This is a very fragile team. They're very fragile. All of them. All of them have tremendous egos. Kevin Durant has, you know, probably the biggest ego of any superstar. But he also has, has the thinnest skin of any superstar. Kyrie's got a tremendous ego. And Ben Simmons does as well. That doesn't work in the NBA when you have so many egos because you need a guy in there at least to gel and mesh all the egos together, all the glue. You just do. See, LeBron, he has a big ego, but he's still that glue guy. He's that leader, and that's why we saw in the championship runs with the Heat, uh, even though he was a guy, him, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, all got along so well. Him and Kyrie also got along. When you look at the Warriors, you know, Draymond's this loud ego guy. Clay Thompson, Steph, they're the glue. They're humble players, uh, even though Steph has lost quite a bit of humility, I may note, uh, just his past postseason run, doing a lot of talking and dancing and front-running and showboating uh, that I got sick of. So he took some points, but for most of that run, uh, he held Draymond intact. When you look at Jordan and the Bulls, there was a lot of ego there with Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. Michael Jordan had a heck of an ego, but he was still that glue guy, that leader. The Nets don't have one. They don't have that true leader, that true presence. It ain't Kyrie Irving, the man who holds his own practices after the head coach. It ain't Ben Simmons who left the group chat because they asked him if he was going to play game four. And it ain't Kevin Durant who requested a trade after his offseason. So, yes, they have a talented team. They have, or I should say, they have talented individuals on a team. But just because you have talented individuals on a team doesn't make you the favorites, doesn't make you the best team. Because I've seen teams with comparable talent in the NBA go farther than the Brooklyn Nets have. The Heat have a comparable team. They got Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, uh, Tyler Hero, comparable team. But the chemistry there, there's no egos at all. That's chemistry there. That's why we go to the finals, the conference finals, because of the chemistry. Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who, mind you, just swept this same Nets team. No egos, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Bucks, Giannis, might be the most humble superstar ever. No egos there with him, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. So... I look at the East especially, they're not coming out of the East. My expectations for the Nets, they're not as high as everyone else because there's evidence on the Nets, what they have done in the past. The evidence shows that they have not made a conference finals with KD and Kyrie. The evidence shows that with Kyrie, they have not made that, my bad, the evidence shows that Ben Simmons has never made a conference uh, finals appearance in his career. The evidence shows that Kyrie, take LeBron out, no conference finals in his career. Kevin Durant, conference finals, take out the Warriors, twice in his career with the Thunder. Lost once, blew a 3-1 lead, and then the one time he made the finals, lost to LeBron. So... The evidence shows these players just don't cut it uh, together. Now, who knows what happens? You know, you know, everybody wants to try to play out these perfect, best, you know, scenarios. But guess what? Perfect doesn't happen in this world. Doesn't happen in the game of NBA. 
So as much as people want to aspire Vendettes and put them on this pedestal, preseason favorites and sit there and just go on about the Nets. I'm sorry to be the realist here in this situation and in this conversation, but tamper your expectations for the Brooklyn Nets. To me, all things considered, I think they'll make the semifinals this year. Conference semis and lose in that round. Realistically, I do. Maybe they get lucky or they get hot or they all stay healthy and play and gel well and they get to the conference finals. Now, that would be a tremendous season for them, but they're not playing NBA NBA finals. They're not. They're too fragile. They're too soft. There's too many egos with nobody there to manage them. Not a coach, not a player, not a culture. So a lot of people can peg this as their preseason champion or preseason favorite to come out of the East. It was there last year. Doesn't happen. You know, year before, didn't happen. And it isn't going to happen this year. So congratulations, Kevin Durant, Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, you've got some pieces as well. You brought in, you know, Royce O'Neal, defender. I mean, good for them, but my expectations haven't changed for the Nets. And if you're somebody that thinks the Nets aren't winning at all, please tamper your expectations. What else is happening in the NBA? Well, Chet Holmgren is out for the season. He is a number two overall pick. Uh, out of uh, Gonzaga this year uh, for Oklahoma City Thunder. And he tore a muscle something in his foot. uh, And he's out for the season, uh, which is unfortunate because I thought he was a great player, looked good in the summer league, but he gets hurt in a pro-am game, uh, you know, against regular dudes that work nine to five, guarding who else, none other than LeBron James. And now this was one of my main concerns with Chet. And again, I feel terrible for Chet, especially because I thought he was going to be so good. But the one critique I had was that he was, you know, even though he's seven foot, he's thin. He's like 195. A seven foot player should not be, you know, that light. So I hope, you know, even though it's a foot injury, he comes back healthy. He takes a season to put on some muscle, uh, and be out there and play some defense because LeBron worked them on that defensive uh, thing. And that's the one thing that I worried about all season with Chet is when he went against bigger guys in the NBA now, the same college, when you're going up against the LeBrons, the Giannis's, the Kawhis, the Jokic's, those are big boys. And they'll back you down and you're going to feel it. Unfortunately, Chet felt this one too soon. Now, I don't think this should stop players from playing in the Pro-Am. This, to me, is a one-time kind of fluky injury. We really rarely hear, you know, NBA players, you know, they play in the FIBA for their team in the offseason. You know, Jokic has done it. Uh, Luka Doncic does it, you know, and rarely do we hear of players get injured doing that. Yes, there's the fear there, but, you know, Rarely do we hear anyone get hurt. So I don't think this is something that, you know, NBA should now stop because of that. Yes, it hurts. So, OKC, I feel bad for Chet. I hope he recovers well and comes out big next year because it's not the end of his career. Uh, we saw Joel Embiid battle foot injuries early in his career. Uh, first kind of two years he sat out. And look at Joel now. Uh, he's always in the MVP conversation, one of the best big men. I think Chet can have a similar trajectory. Uh, you just chalk this one year up if you're OKC. Uh, look forward to next year. Also in the news, Los Angeles Lakers trade for Patrick Beverly. Couldn't believe that last night when I was watching SportsCenter, that the Lakers trade for Patrick Beverly, Utah Jazz, get THT, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Stanley Johnson. To me, this is, I'm just analyzing the trade here. This is a win for the Lakers. Uh, they get an A grade. Uh, they get somebody who can play defense, 
doesn't need a mere ball in their hand offense. And when you look at the two players they gave up, Stanley Johnson, uh, you know, was lucky to get a contract because the Lakers were so bad. He wasn't going to get a contract on the Celtics or Warriors, any good team. He was kind of making his way around the league. So you're not giving up much there. And THT, I think, is a player who needs a ball in his hands. The Lakers overestimated his uh, how good he was. His talent kind of shot them in the foot this year. So two players of their caliber who didn't really fit in well with LeBron in the system. Shipped them out for Pat Bev who can play defense uh, at a high level, individual ISO defense, not, you know, great team defense, but, you know, he'll annoy a player. Uh, He just will. He's tough, and he's annoying. He is. I'm not a big fan of the way Patrick Beverly plays, but he'll annoy uh, the best player on the other team. He'll harass a Steph Curry. He'll harass a Chris Paul. He'll you know, get into the other team's head and make it frustrating, maybe even pull out a technical or something on the other team. That's what you're getting with Pat Bev. Another thing I see with Pat Bev, he doesn't get along with Russell Westbrook. They have a very ongoing public feud. Russell Westbrook said that Pat Bev doesn't play defense. Uh, He just runs up and down the court and media makes something of it. You know, Pat Bev has not said kind of things about Russell Westbrook. So this is going to be an interesting match here for that. But I do like the Lakers trade. And speaking of the Lakers and Russell Westbrook, uh, LeBron tweeted that he can't wait for Russell Westbrook to prove people wrong this offseason or this upcoming regular season. Now, no matter what trades the Lakers make, if they still have Russell Westbrook on their team, this team's not doing anything. Now, the Lakers got minimally better with Patrick Bev, but they still got Russell Westbrook on their team. So with LeBron saying that, two things are happening. The first thing is, you know, they're sticking with Russell Westbrook, and LeBron is doubling down on Russell Westbrook. Last year's tweet was, you know, you know, keep on talking about my team's age, And all that, you keep that same energy. That tweet didn't turn out so well. So this year, he's doubling down on Russell Westbrook. He had a terrible season last year. But wait for Russell Westbrook to prove you wrong this offseason. So it's like the same tweet again that hopefully, you know, please don't bring it up again next year. Why would you tweet that, LeBron? Or the second reason he tweeted it is this. Is that he's trying to secretly hype up Russell's value that he's there's still talent and stuff in the tank so that they can trade him uh, so that they can just cut ties with Russell Westbrook. Now I'm thinking it's the second one because I think LeBron's too smart after all the flack that he got last year for his tweet for him to tweet something similar this year. So hopefully it's for something, you know, a trade in the works so that he can soon delete that tweet uh, or else teams are going to make a mockery again of Russell Westbrook and the Los Angeles Lakers. Russell Westbrook's not a fit on any team, but Russell Westbrook needs to go. He's not going to fit with Patrick Beverly. Heck, he doesn't fit anywhere with anyone in the league. And if he's still on the Lakers on opening day and he plays the whole season, they're a 500 team at best. At best, they're 42 and 42. Uh, at best. At worst is what they were last year, you know, 33 and 49. Uh, and I think realistically, they're somewhere in between the 37 and 45. That's kind of where I have them. If they have Russell Westbrook throughout the whole season, no. I'm not expecting a bounce-back season from Russ. Some great season, that's not Russell Westbrook. Now moving on to college football. Nick Saban got a raise and extension yesterday. All the way till 2030. I saw that. I saw some memes on it. It made me laugh because this guy's never going away. He is never going away. Uh, if you thought the last 10 years were bad and we college football just dominated from Alabama, we get another 10. We do. To me, this is reminiscent of Star Wars. And the Chancellor, Emperor Palpatine, 
in kind of their 20-year reign in Star Wars where, here it is, it's the Emperor. You're not getting rid of the Empire. That's how it feels with Alabama right now. It's like, hear that news of Nick Saban and Nick Saban, Alabama are going to dominate till 2030, I guess. I guess 2010 to 2030. It's their 20-year reign now. He is older. He's in his 70s. This will take him to about 80 years old. Uh, so I don't know if he makes it the duration of his contract. He retires. To me, it's unlikely he makes it. But it just seems like Alabama is not going away at all. And a majority of my life has been watching Nick Saban and Alabama win. That's just me as a fan. But congratulations, Nick Saban. You deserve it. You're the greatest college football coach of all time by far. You're arguably one of the greatest football coaches. You're in the conversation for one of the greatest coaches of all time. I know that gets a little nitpicky, but Nick Saban deserves it, is the GOAT of college football. And to me, is one of the reasons why there's all this conference realignment is because teams want to beat Alabama each and every year. They are tired of seeing Nick Saban in Alabama every single year in the championship game. Next up in college football, this week, Saturday, is officially, you know, it's not, they don't call it week one. It's like week zero, where there's not any top 25 great games on, but there is some college football action. None of the ones I'm particularly interested in. If I have time, I might watch the Nebraska-Northwestern game, since it's a Big Ten game. And also, it is taking place in Dublin, Ireland, across the seas, expanding over there. Uh, so I'm going to pick Nebraska to win that game. I'm starting off my picks already. My one game I'm picking, Nebraska. Why? Northwestern was a good team last year, but Nebraska had a string of bad luck last year. Uh, they were, I think, 3-9, and nine, or 4-8, and eight, something like that, and they were bad. But all their losses were by one score. To Michigan, they were up, lost by one score. Ohio State lost by one score. Uh, and they were up in a lot of games. We just uh, unfortunate breaks in every single one didn't go their way. But I like Nebraska to win this game uh, and start off the season 1-0. and And last but not least, a PGA Tour announced some changes. Their stars to commit to 20 events, 15 of them or 17 of them will all be played the same venue. Of course, it'll be, you know, you have your four majors they'll all play in, uh, but biggest non-major, uh, which is the PG, or, uh, Players' Championship. But then there's race purses for the rest of the events, and the stars are going to play on all of them. And it makes sense is Rory says, you know, if you tune into a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, you expect to see Tom Brady. So there's going to be certain events in PGA you know, that we tune in. We want to see all the stars play, and it's not Rory plays in one, Justin Thomas plays in one, Scotty Scheffler in one, and there's not really great competition in those events. Now because of these changes uh, with the more money, you know, guess what? All the stars from being there. It's good for the game of golf. Uh, and then as well, Tiger and Rory are starting a primetime league, kind of top golfish. Simulator Monday night prime times, uh, you know, where you have drives and shipping and everything in front of a like a stadium. So I think that's excellent PGA Tour with a big response to Live Golf. They let Live play their hand first, um, and then they played theirs. Uh, you know, Jordan Spieth alludes that you know some of this has to do with uh, what Live has done. Rory McIlroy said that you know. What Phil has done, you know, he wasn't wrong in what he said necessarily, but he was wrong in the action that he took. Uh, I do think, you know, it was a game of patience for the players that left for live. Uh, but, no, I think the PGA now, it's in a very good spot. Uh, a lot of eyes are going to be on it. And, you know, does this now give players who are thinking about joining live a harder decision now that this has been announced because there's a big wave of players expected next Monday, Tuesday after the tour championship to bounce for live. 
since they had their event September 2nd in Boston. Does this give them a second shot? Does Cam Smith, who is rumored to sign, you know, Roy said he's been in discussions with him. Does he now sign? Who else signs now with Liv? That's going to be very interesting come next week. This has been Unbothered. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.